0: What's up? Welcome to Bow Down, the teaching ministry
1: of Pastor Chris Tress.
0: So good morning. How are we doing this morning? All right. We come expecting to hear from God this morning? Yeah, I hope so. Right. You should be that way every time. But I'm guilty sometimes. Sometimes I walk in. I'm not expecting. I'm just making it. Right. So if you're just making it this morning, I pray that as we open up and uh, as God starts to speak, that, that he'll show you something this morning, right? Just the same way we should expect for this year, right? Everybody uh, still good with their uh, New Year's Eve uh, resolutions? I mean, it's nine days in. Have we given up already? Right? Well, I don't think there's any way, better way to start off the year than with a fast. Um, I, uh, when I was um, through... High school through college, nobody I really knew did a fast. I didn't know what that really meant. I didn't really understand what it meant. I didn't understand the power of what it meant until I was challenged to do it in my own life. And since I've I've made that a you know something that I practice frequently, the way that God has opened up things in my life is amazing. Unlike anything else uh, that I've ever done for me. Now, I know we all connect with God in different ways, but just understand sometimes you hear the word fast and you automatically think no food, and then you automatically might take a step back and be like, ah, that's not for me. I don't know if that's what I'm called to. Um, you may have never done a fast before. What I want to encourage you with is just to take a step of faith, right? It might just be that you give up, I don't know, maybe, maybe there's something in your life like soda, right? It just you know, you know, it's not good for you. Maybe I just give that up. Maybe you give up a cup of coffee. I know that's tough, right? Some people are like, nah, God's not calling me to that, right? Um, it might just be a little step, right? But God will honor that that obedience um, and then maybe even call you to more the next time. So don't be afraid to step into that and and like Chris said, the, the sheets are on the back table back here and in the hallway um, and everything is lined out for you because sometimes you, you jump into it. You're excited. But five, six days in, it kind of wears off a little bit and you start kind of getting distracted. But this kind of helps keep you focused throughout the 21 days, what to pray for, who to pray for and just continue to remind you of that. So um, I know for me um, in my life, uh, big changes has, have happened when I've stepped into that time. Um, of fasting and praying and uh, you never know what God has for you 2022 all right we we joke about 2020 and 2021 and how they've gone and you know it can be a tendency to kind of drag that into this year but this year is new and God can do new things but you got to believe that and you got to come expecting that so um yes we've been going through the book of Ruth um how many y'all are tired of Ruth yet we've been in for a while right nobody okay good because I'll have to have you get dragged out by my man Cody back there or somebody. We might have to drag you out because Ruth, right? We've been diving into Ruth, and it's only four chapters, but we've been on it, it seems, for a while. But there's just so much as you start digging into that, that, that we, you know, as you dig into that book and, and the meanings of it. And so uh, we're going to be in Chapter 3. Chris, Pastor Chris did uh, part of Chapter 3 last week, and I'm going to finish that up. But um, I feel like it's hard to... Um, just pick up in verse 9, especially if you haven't been here. You don't really know what we've been going through, so I'm going to start from verse 1. But let's pray, and let's then dive into, uh, dive into the Word. God, thank you um, for bringing us here today. Thank you that we are here to learn from you, God. I pray that your Holy Spirit would touch our hearts and our minds, God. I pray that we would not leave the same people um, that we are when we came in this door, God, that you have a new revelation, a new message for us, God. You want to encourage us. You want to challenge us, God. You want to help us grow in our faith, and you want to draw us even closer to you today, Father. So may we be open to receive that, Father, in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so yes, Ruth chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 1. And it says, Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter... Should I not seek rest for you, that I may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative, with whose young men you were, with, I'm sorry, with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. Do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. And he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over. And behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings Remain tonight and in the morning, if he will redeem you good, let him do it. But if he will, if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it be not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring me, bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city, and when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle this matter today. So we're in the middle of a love story, right? Right? We can't deny that. Ruth and Boaz, right? We're watching them interact and mingle, right? She starts working in his field. We know Boaz had a little interest because um, earlier in this book, he comes in and he's like, comes to his field. and He's like, hey, to his workers. Hey, oh, who's that? Who's that, right? He knows, he knows his workers. He knows who's in the field. And he noticed her, right? He's asking who she is. So he's already got a little interest going on there. And so now we see it start to unfold as... Ruth and Naomi, right, have been living together. Ruth has been working the field, and now Naomi is basically saying, hey, like, I want you to have security. I want you to have protection. I want you to have a future. And she's giving her advice on what to do. So really where we're going to pick it up is in verse 9, but I just felt like if we read verse 9, it would be kind of weird just jumping into the middle of that. And so in verse 9, right, Naomi, or Ruth, Naomi gives Ruth the advice, Ruth goes out, and yes, uh, Ruth in this story is pursuing Boaz, right? Now, I don't know how you grew up, but I grew up kind of, I guess you would say, old-fashioned now because it was always the, the man is the one pursuing the lady, right? Anybody else grow up like that? Right? That's kind of not always the way that it is nowadays, but that's kind of how it was for me. It was always expected that, you know, the guy kind of pursues the lady, but we see in this story that she's actually being the one that's on the uh, aggressive side, right? She's the one going to him, but why, right? And we'll get into that. So I know, right? It was like, oh, I don't know where you're going with that. Now, when I was uh, in high school, I pursued a lot of ladies, and that was not a good thing. So my first year of college, um, I was on like a really um, pivotal point in my walk with God when I, my first year of college. I actually had tried to go to a different college and try to run from what God wanted me, but he, in his just uh, amazing, gracious way, drew me out of that situation and put me where I was supposed to go. Right? But I still didn't know exactly what he had for me. But that first year of college, God told me, I don't want you to date anybody. I want you to take a year off. You need to get your, your, your own life in order. You're not in a position to be dating. That's tough. I'm like, God, I'm about to go to college, right, all these ladies. And you're telling me to take, take the year off. So I did. And in that year, my wife's sitting over there giving me a look. But in that year, there were some ladies that came right? Into my life, into my circle, right? But I knew that God had called me to, you know, take that year off. And so after that year, um, I, I uh, went to summer. I worked for Kids Across America, and then I came back to school that next year and, you know, open to what God had when we got him. I'm off, right? I'm, I felt like I was off punishment, um, <laughs> right? I'm free to now You know, be single and mingle, right? Um, So uh, it wasn't a couple months in that a friend of mine, uh, who was also a friend of my wife's, came up to me and said, hey, my friend likes you. All right? Now, we all understand that it is so much easier to pursue a relationship when you already know how the other one feels, right? Isn't that a relief? right? Cuz if you don't sometimes you're walking into it and you don't want to say too much because you're not sure if they feel the same way that you feel and you don't want to overstep and say too much and then it's like, "Oh, I wasn't really feeling like that. I just thought we were friends." You know? Anybody? Is it just me? <laughs> All right, sometimes that happens and you just got to know, but it, isn't it nice to know when you walk into it how that other person already felt? So, throughout that whole year I had prayed, God, I have pursued, right? Relationships For a long time, I don't want to have to pursue anymore. God, please bring me the one. And my friend came and said, hey, I have a friend that likes you. Now, she didn't pursue me. She almost avoided me. She would turn red and get embarrassed every time we were in the same group of people. So luckily for that guy that that was a friend of mine, a friend of hers, uh, let me know and let me in on what was going on. And it was easy for me to come in because I already knew how she felt about me and so you know gave me a little more confidence cuz guys you know if you shoot your shot and you get rejected right you got to kind of back up and gather yourself before you're ready to put yourself out there again but I already knew how she felt right Naomi is telling and giving advice to Ruth hey go pursue Boaz and there's reason behind it it wasn't just a haphazard uh, pursuit So understand, what does it mean when in verse 9 she says, spread your wings over your servant, right? That's what she tells uh, Boaz. Now, if you're reading this story and you don't really know that the Bible can sometimes be a little bit crazy with the stories, right? I think a lot of people think that the Bible is so neat and proper. But if you read the beginning of this chapter, it's like, hey, get yourself freshened up. Right, because ladies, that's what y'all do when you know you're about to meet a guy. You go get freshened up, right? She tells him to take a shower, bathe, anoint yourself with oil, be smelling really good. Now go down to where he's at. Wait till he has eaten and gotten some drinks, right? Where some some translations say he's merry, right? He's not drunk, but he's just, you know, in a good mood, right? And then go lay at his feet. Now, I love my wife, we've been married for almost 18 years, but if she would have started the relationship by sneaking into my room and laying at my feet, I would have been out of there, boy. Like, what? Right? So if you read this story, it's like, whoa, what are they doing? But understand, this was the process, okay? This was the process in place for this culture, all right? And she was being on the aggressive side, but she was coming to uh, his feet, right? And what is she asking for? She's asking for protection. She's asking for a future. She's asking and and offering herself, not in a sexual way, she's offering herself as, I'm available to you to, to, to be married, right? I'm available. I'm not seeking anyone else. I'm offering myself to you. She's letting him know that. And so this this beautiful picture of how this story unfolds, how there's so much honor in the process, right? Because at, at any point in this process, things could, get, things could get a little bit out of hand, right? Things could get a little bit off track. Things could get a, bit, a little bit off of what God's purpose and plan was for the both of them. But she comes humbly and she lays at his feet because that's the sign of a servant. She uncovers his feet and she lays there. Because she's saying, I'm, I'm coming as a servant humbly to you. Not because I'm expecting you to do anything. I don't want to step out of the line with what God is calling us to. But I'm offering myself to you and letting you know that I'm available. And of course, at midnight, he wakes up and he sees her. and He's like, what, the, what is going on? She's laying at my feet, right? And she asks him, what are you doing? And that's exactly what she says in verse 9. He says, who are you? She says, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And so, where else do we see this in in Scripture? And if if you want, you can turn to Ezekiel 16, uh, verses 8 through 14. And it says this God talking, it says, When I passed by you again and saw you, behold, you were at the edge for love, the age for love. And I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord God. And you became mine. Then I bathed you with water and washed off your blood from you and anointed you with oil. I clothed you also with embroidered cloth and shod you with fine leather. I wrapped you in fine linen and covered you with silk. And I adorned you with ornaments and put bracelets on your wrist and chains on your neck. And I put a ring on your nose and earrings in your ears and a beautiful crown on your head. Thus you were adorned with gold and silver and your clothing was of fine linen and silk and embroidered cloth. You ate fine flour and honey and oil. You grew exceedingly beautiful and advanced to royalty. And your renown went forth among the nations because of your beauty. For it was perfect through the splendor that I had bestowed on you, declares the Lord. What a beautiful view of exactly what God does in our life. Now, as we read through this passage, we're reading a love story between Ruth and Boaz, but also understand that we're also reading a love story between us and Jesus, right? Because just as Boaz is a redeemer for Ruth, Jesus is our redeemer and we are the bride, right? And our bridegroom is coming for us. And so understand that as we walk through this, it's parallels that our relationship with Jesus. Why? Because Jesus wants to come and he wants to offer that to us. He wants to come around us and protect us, right? That's what that means when he shields us, right? Under the cover of his wing is he wants to come and bring us close. What does a mother bird do to the babies? She protects them, she puts her wings over them, she protects them from the outside elements, right? From predators, she keeps them warm. She she goes off and comes back and feeds them. That's what Jesus wants to do with us when he redeems us. He wants us to come under the shadow of his wings. He wants us to come humbly at his feet and lay there and offer ourselves and say, Jesus, I'm yours. I'm yours. I'm available and I'm yours. But do we lay at the feet of Jesus and do we let him know that we're available and that we're ready? Many times we don't. Many times we run from that protection. We run from that shield that he provides. And when we step out of that protection, right, We have to understand that now we are vulnerable to the outside. But Jesus' plan, his perfect plan when he comes to redeem us is to offer us protection. Just like Boaz was going to offer protection for Ruth. Why? Because she didn't have a husband. Right? Naomi didn't have a husband. She was a foreigner. She was from the lowest of the low because they had no husband. Jesus comes to offer protection for all of us. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what you've been through. It doesn't matter what situation you're in. When we come and lay down humbly at his feet, he offers protection. He is the Redeemer. You will know me when you seek me with all your heart. Jeremiah 29, 12 and 13 says this, You will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. You will find me only when you seek me with all of your heart. We have to get to a point, just like Ruth, where we come and we lay at his feet. And we rest in his protection that he provides us. We struggle with rest. We struggle to rest in Jesus because we have so many things pulling us in different directions. But we have to learn to rest in him because he offers us everything that we need. And then at the end of verse 9, she says, for you are a redeemer. And so just like we have to think about this as a, a love relationship, so guys, if you are trying to figure out what you need to be in a relationship, Boaz is a great example. The things that he does and the way that he honors, the integrity that he lives in, the way that he treats Great example. Ladies, if you're looking to how, to how you're supposed to conduct yourself, Ruth is a great example of that. But we also have to realize the relation between Boaz being uh, a correlation of Jesus and Ruth being us. So what is she needing to be redeemed from, right? He's her redeemer, but what is she being redeemed from? Well, we know that in this specific case that she's being redeemed because, why? Because she lost her husband, right? She has no husband. Her mother-in-law has no husband. She needs protection. She needs somebody to come around her. She She understands that for her to have a future, that this needs to happen, right? But what do we need to be redeemed from? I feel like if we would ask ourselves that question every single day, it would motivate us and challenge us to continue to do the things that God is calling us to, because let's understand what we've been redeemed from. Now, I can't speak for you, but I know what I've been redeemed from, and it's a lot. That's a long list of things that I've been redeemed from. I'm not proud of that list, but it is what it is, and I understand why Jesus had to come for me, because I can't do it on my own, because I mess up situations, because I'm prideful and arrogant, because of all these sins that take over my life, I need to be redeemed, We've got to remember that this life will continue to pull us away and make us think that we can do things on our own, that we don't need Jesus, that we can handle it, that I've got everything taken care of. But we've got to remember that Jesus came to redeem us, that there's some junk in our lives that's got to be dealt with. And so we break into verse 10. Verse 10, he says this. He says, He and may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. So, understanding what's happening here, she's just offered himself to him. Now he's already had an eye on her, right? He's already had an eye on her. probably didn't think there was any chance. Anybody else ever, you know, guy with a girl, guy didn't think he had a chance out of your league? Yeah, I understand that. Um, he probably didn't think there was any chance, and she's offering him to him. Now, this is the ESV version. I really liked how the message said it, because sometimes I try to read the Bible like I'm that person, or I, I want to put myself in that, that position, right? Boaz just had a good harvest, man. He's celebrating, all right? He just hung out with his workers. He ate. He drank. He's in a good mood, right? He wakes up in the middle of the night, and this beautiful woman is laying at his feet saying, I want, you to, I want, I want to be your wife, right? Right? So the ESV says, and he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. And maybe it's just the way that I read it, but the message says, God bless you, my daughter. That's what Boaz was saying. He's like, God bless you. Man, I can't believe this. This has got to be the best night of my life. I went to sleep happy, thinking it couldn't be better. And I wake up, and I got this beautiful woman at my feet. God bless you, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. So, hey, fellas, you got to be a self-aware man. Boaz understood. He's a little bit older. He's got money, but we don't know that he's necessarily like, a, you know, necessarily a looker, right? He's older, not married, and he's got money. So he's got high status, but he ain't got a wife. I'm not going to say why, I'm just going to say, all right, he understood where he was at and what he was looking at, okay, that this kindness that she is showing him because there are plenty other younger guys, both rich and poor, right, so you know he's like, hey, there's other poor guys out there that are better looking than me, right, but maybe that's just his humble spirit, right, but what he is saying is this, what you have done is honorable, and it's honorable in so many ways because when you read it, you can just think, oh, it's just honorable because she's, she's, you know, kind of returning the favor for all the things that he's done and how he's offered protection. But what you really have to understand is this, is that Ruth made a covenant to Naomi. Where you go, I go. Where you sleep, I sleep. Where you eat, I'll eat. Everything that you do, I'll do. Your God is my God. That's the covenant that she made to, to uh Naomi. And she's honoring that covenant because she knows by going to Boaz, who is the redeemer, that it will restore the line of Elimelech, Naomi's husband, which eventually will lead to Jesus. She doesn't know it'll lead to Jesus, but she is honoring her mother-in-law by restoring the line that's been lost. So let's understand what, what she is doing in this story. Love, respect, and honor. She didn't go after young guys. She didn't take the first that she could, right? How often do we chase what looks good, even though it's not God's plan, right? That's exactly what she could have done, and nobody would have blamed her. You've had a rough life. You lost your husband, this and that. You've been working in the fields. You deserve this, right? Anybody ever done something because you felt like you deserved it, right? How often that gets us off track. There's been times in, in, in my marriage with my wife that financially things might be tough, but we stepped out and said, you know what, we deserve this. We deserve to go on vacation. We deserve a new something, right? And it sounds good, and you'll come up with every reason to make it right in your eyes. But then two months down the road when you get the bill for it and you can't pay it, right? Did you really deserve it? Don't let culture and society tell you what you deserve. Let God provide for what you need. Verse 11, he says, And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. Now, who does that sound like? It sounds like Jesus, right? How many times throughout Scripture do we see the words, do not fear? Do not fear. Do not fear. Every time an angel appeared, what they have to say? Do not fear, right? Because <laughs> if an angel appeared right in front of you, what are you going to do? You're probably going to get scared, right? Okay? <laughs> Let's just be honest. Do not, do not fear. Do not fear. Do not fear. Right? And then he says, for I will do for you all that you ask. What does Jesus tell us? He says, ask and it shall I be given to you. John 14:13 says this. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. John 15, 7 says this, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now, when I was a kid, even a teenager growing up, like this, these verses got me in trouble because I'm like, All right, ask whatever I want. Okay, God, God, I want this. When I turn 16, I want this car. God, give me this girl because I think she looks good. Whatever it was, right? It can get you in trouble. But it's understanding that as you submit yourself to God, as you lay at his feet under his protection and his guidance, the things that you ask for now become the things that God is thinking and seeking because you are one with him, you're close to him, you know what he's thinking, right? He's speaking into your life, and it's starting to pour out of you. So you stop asking for the material things, right? And you start understanding the spiritual. When I was younger, I asked God to heal my dad, and he didn't. So that's a verse that I've struggled with. But we also have to understand that there's a, there's a plan out there that God's already put into place that we can't always see. That's why it's a faith walk. Because sometimes we don't understand what's going on. We don't understand situations. But we know that God has a plan. And then towards the end of 11, he says this. He says, For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. So I don't really know what that means. Like, is he like you know, in the local drugstore, the local restaurant, he's just hearing some chatter about people talking about, hey, man, y'all heard about Ruth, right? Man, she, she, she's out there doing it, man. She's working. She's this and that. It doesn't say, but all it says is that she is a what? A woman that is worthy. Another uh, translation says a woman of excellence. This is the same Ruth who has been referred to over and over again as the Moabite, right, as as a dig to her ethnicity, right, from where she's from. And she comes from the low because her and her mother-in-law live together and there's no man running the house, and so she's got to go out and work the fields. She's of great reputation. How did she get there? How did she go from just being this foreigner, right, the lowest of lows to now being somebody who's called a woman of excellence, a worthy woman, by honoring God and honoring the commitment. Men and women of God understand if you want to be a man or woman of excellence, you've got to honor God and the commitment that you made to him. When you gave your life to Christ, that has to mean something to you. It's not something that you can just keep pulling back and forth. Well, today, God, I'm going to rule my life because I've got this, this, and this. But you know what? Sunday morning, I got you. You, 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 got, you got it. Sunday morning, I'll, I'll give it to you. I'll go to church. right? I'll go to a Bible study during the week. No, that covenant is life. It's every single day. And so <clears throat> as you think about this, it, it brought me to... Um, Proverbs 31. Why? Because Proverbs 31 talks about a woman of God. Fellas, if you're looking for a woman of God, then you need to listen up because these are some of the things that you need to be looking for as, as you're looking for a lady. Ladies, these are things that if you're aspiring to be a woman of God, these are things that, that God puts out there for us. So the first one, it says this, an excellent wife who can find. And Sorry, this is Proverbs 31.10. An excellent wife, who can find? She is far more precious than jewels. All right? More precious than jewels. So I told you guys I worked at a camp called Kids Across America when I was in college. We still take the kids here at Urban Youth Impact and bow down um, up, up there. It's a camp in Missouri. And while I was there, right, KAA, if you know, you know. Um, if, while I was there, I was mentored by a guy. His name was Ricky Jimerson. And um, he kind of took me under his wing, right, to to help me um, as a a college student trying to navigate life and figure out all these things. Um, And one of the things that he talked to me about was how to treat my future wife. And he said this, he said, your wife is a precious jewel. And you've got to protect that. Just like a jeweler takes a jewel and makes precision cuts to make it beautiful and shine like, they, like you want it to in your ring or your necklace, right? But if they cut it the wrong way, what does it do? It can, it can ruin the, the stone. Your wife is a precious jewel, and the world is constantly trying to chip away at that jewel. Situations, circumstances in life are going to constantly chip away at that jewel. Now, some of those situations help make it more beautiful, but some of those situations are going to damage it for good. As a husband, you've got to come around her, and you've got to protect that jewel. You've got to do everything that you can to protect it from the world and the things coming at her. Now, have I always done a great job of that? No. You can ask my wife that, and I'm open to that. There's been times I've done a great job protecting, and there's been times where I've been asleep at the job. Not proud of that, but that's the honest truth. Fellas, as you're looking for a wife, if you already have a girlfriend, if you're already married one year, five years, 20 years, your wife is a precious jewel, treat her that way. Because that's what God commands us to. She is a gift from God. Protect that. Verse 11, it says, The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. Right? He trusts her. He believes in her. She has a great reputation. Who else had a great reputation? Ruth. Right. Because of how she conducted herself, because she did exactly what she was told. What else does it say in here? Um, in you, you guys can read the rest. It's it's um, Proverbs 31, 10 through 31. I wish I had time to read all of that, to go through all those. But a lot of the verses that that follow talk about the hard work of the wife that she's a hard worker, that her hands are never idle, that she's willing to do whatever she needs to do to help the family, to help her husband, right? That's her role. And when you find that, it's amazing. That's my wife. She works hard every single day. I never have to worry if my wife's just slacking off. She's working hard every day to do things for our family, to make sure things are in place. Naomi, or Ruth was a hard worker. So understand, this is the model that we want to look at when we're looking uh, at relationships. Verse 12, he says this. He says, I am the Redeemer. You know, what you said is right. He says, I, it is true, I am the Redeemer. Yet, there is a Redeemer nearer than I. Boaz, man, the greatest night of your life, right? This woman is saying, hey, I want you to be my husband. Nobody's around. He can make that commitment. He is one of the redeemers, but he knows he's not the first in line. Sometimes we do everything right up until we're almost at the finish line. And then we sacrifice or we compromise because we just couldn't wait just a little bit longer and do things the right way. Nobody would have blamed him, right? People may not have even known he could have taken her, right, and married her and things could have been fine. But that wasn't the process that God had in place. I went to high school with a kid. Well, actually, I, I think we went elementary, middle and high school. Got all the way up to senior year. Second semester of senior year, he decides to drop out of school. Couple months left. The finish line, you can see the finish line, and he decides to drop out of school. Like, bro, I would have dropped out in eighth grade or something, man. Forget that. That's way too much work and way too much time and effort to go through all of that. And then you're right there at the end, and you don't see it through. But how many times as believers do we do that? We know God is calling us to something. He's put something, a vision on our heart and our mind, right? And we're following through, we're following through, we're following through. And right before we get to the point where we're about to break through and God's about to show us something amazing, we give up. Something hard comes up and we say, oh, this must not be God's plan. A situation comes up and we, we just give in or we just, we just lose sight of what we were going after. He knew that he was in line, but he wasn't first in line. So verse 13, he says this. He says, remain tonight and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good. Now, how many of us honestly are going to be like, if he redeems you, good? No, if he redeems you, dang it, I'm fighting, right? (laughs) I want you to be my wife. How many times do we want something, right? And we know we're not the one in line for it. But we struggle with that. We struggle to just back up and let God's plan unfold instead of going out and trying to take it for ourselves. He could have done that, but he didn't. He said, if he he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. Honor. Humility, integrity—all of these things that, that Boaz is showing in this process, honoring God, honoring Naomi, honoring Ruth, honoring God's process in all of it—I would have had a hard time with that. I didn't ask my wife to share the story, so she was okay. But um, so she she when she met me, she told her mom to pray for me, right? She, we first started talking. Like, we weren't trying to date or anything, but she, she, she called her mom and said, Hey, Mom, I really want you to call. Uh, I really want you to write this name down, I want you to pray for him. She knew then that I was going to be her husband. I didn't know then. I'm glad she didn't tell me that at that moment because we really didn't know each other. It would have freaked me out. But anyway, <laughs> I didn't find out later until last year, maybe. Her mom spilled the beans. Apparently, there was another guy on that list. <laughs> There was another guy on that list that <laughs> she was praying for. Well, I'm glad her mom's prayers went more up for me than him because I wasn't going to stand for nobody. Hey, I was going for it, right? So Boaz honored and respected the process that God had put before him because he understood that it wasn't worth compromising to see what God had for him. Our So it brings me to the question, am I willing to trust God's process in my own life? How many things, how many of us are willing to trust God's process in our lives right now? And not push, and not rush God, but to just trust the process. And then in 14, he says this, so lay at the feet, so she lay at his feet until morning, but arose before One could recognize another, so early in the morning. And he said, let it not be known that this woman came to the threshing floor. Continued honor, respect. He knew that she had a great reputation in the community, and he didn't want that to be spoiled by somebody seeing her leaving and knowing he was there, and what are they going to say, right? The rumors are going to start, hey, Ruth was down with Boaz late at night. We already know what happened, right? And so he wanted to honor her as much as he, he could and protect her, right? He's not even married to her yet, and yet he's been offering protection and safety the whole time. It reminds me of Joseph and Mary. Joseph, a man of, of honor, a man of integrity, right? Protecting Mary through the whole process. Finding out that she's pregnant. Knowing that that wasn't the way things were supposed to go knowing that he legally could divorce her, he legally could have her stoned to death for what she did. But he didn't. Throughout the whole process, his focus was protecting Mary, protecting her reputation, keeping her safe. Now I know if my wife came home one day, was like, I'm pregnant with the Holy Holy Spirit. I'd be like, what? I don't know about that, right? We'd be wanting to get on social media, whatever. We'd be blasting people's names everywhere. That's not what Joseph did because he had honor and respect for her, just like Boaz did. And so what does he do? He sends her back with barley to take back to her mother-in-law. He didn't want her to go back empty-handed. So it wasn't just about Ruth and taking care of Ruth, but he was also assuming care of Naomi. Fellas, listen up. The mother-in-law is an important key to your relationship with your future wife. So make it count, all right? That mother-in-law piece can make or break a lot of situations, all right? So you got to tread softly on that. Now, for me, I knew that the key to getting to my wife was through mom, mom mom-in-law, all right? Because dad-in-law wasn't having it. He didn't like me. He didn't like me at all. There was a lot of reasons why he didn't like me, but he didn't like me. So I knew the key was get, getting good with mom, mom-in-law, and that's what I did. <laughs> Sweet-talked her, nice, used manners, friendly, not because I was, like, trying to get over on her, like, that's who I was, but I just knew that this was an important relationship. Understand, if you're dating somebody right now, You're not just dating that person. Because once, if you guys decide to get engaged and then decide to get married, the family comes with them. All right? So if you're not good with that, all right, you need to pray through that. The mother-in-law step is important. Boaz knew that. And so he wanted to make sure that mother-in-law was taken care of as well. I love my mother-in-law. And I would do anything I could do to take take care of her if something happened to my father-in-law. And that's exactly what Boaz was was trying to show them. And so then we get to verse 18. And it says this. um, After all of this has happened, Ruth comes back home. She's excited about everything that's happened, I'm sure, what Boaz has said. And she says, wait, right? She says, wait. And so she replied, wait, my daughter, until you learn how this matter turns out. For the man will not rest, uh, but will settle this matter today, right? We struggle to wait, especially in relationships. And I don't just mean sexual things. We just struggle. We want to rush relationships. We want what we want right now, right? And sometimes that brings more pain and more frustration than it needs to. Because we're not following the plan that God has put out there for us. We live in a, a world and a culture we don't wait for anything. Right? I don't like waiting at stoplights. I don't like waiting for my food. I don't like waiting for my internet. I don't like waiting for anything. Right? And that's the culture and society we grow up. We don't like to wait. We want everything right now. Right? If you see something... You know, oh, man, that's a really cool pen or a Bible or, oh, I saw this online or on uh, TV. I really want this. What do we do? We go to Amazon. Boom. Two-day shipping. Bam. Have it at the house. Right? We are a society and a culture that doesn't like to wait. We want it now. If at lunch today your server is slow, remember what I'm talking about. All right? Be patient. Wait. All right? Maybe she's, you just need to have some more conversation while you wait for your food. Right? We must learn to leave it in God's hands. Our culture and society dictates how we live our life sometimes in this rush, rush, rush life. And we're unwilling to just leave it in God's hands and let him do what he does best. Trust him to take care of it because he can and he will. I love how it says for the man will not rest. Let's just say Boaz is motivated. All right. Boaz is motivated she knows hey he knows the deal he knows what's on the table he's not gonna let this matter wait he's gonna go take care of business and handle it immediately and so we we laugh about Boaz and his motivation to you know to get with Ruth but understand that's how God looks at us right he he is motivated for us right Look at me today. If you don't believe that God is motivated for you, I don't know where that came in. I don't know what thought process or what experience in life you've been through that that brings that mindset. But God is motivated for you and he is always at work for you. He never rests. And so although it might seem like a situation or something you prayed for is taking a while, know that God is motivated for you because he loves you and he cares for you. You don't have to worry whether he's going to take care of what you've asked him. He's already in the process. He is motivated, and he is always at work for us. So as we get towards the end, the practical, ladies, whether you are single, in a relationship, engaged, married for a year, married for five, married for 20, Ruth and how she conducts herself is a great example of the life that you should aspire to, right? And maybe you're, you're already doing it. Amen to that. Fellas, the same for us as we look at Boaz. Honor, respect, integrity, right? Following God's plan, being patient, doing things the right way. You can't expect to get a Ruth if you're not willing to be a Boaz. And you ain't gonna get a Boaz unless you're willing to be a Ruth. So the more spiritual side to to this conversation is, do we come humbly before God on a daily basis? Are we willing to kneel at his feet, lay at his feet, and offer ourselves to him and say, God, I'm available, I'm here, I'm ready. Whatever it is you call me to do, wherever it is you want me to go, whatever it is you want me to say, whoever it is you want me to have an impact on, whatever it is, God, I'm available. Are we ready to do exactly what he tells us to do? Because I think in our our Christian society, like, a lot of times we're willing to do about 75% of that, but it's like that last 25% that we struggle with. Well, until we get that last 25% right, we may not see the real blessings and promises of God that God wants to pour out on us. How many times did we see throughout this book how Ruth did exactly what she was told? So, I want to challenge you when God tells you to do something, please do exactly what he tells you to do. There's been times in my life where I've done almost exactly what he wants me to do. And then I look up in God and say, God, why didn't you, what what happened? What happened, God? Why didn't you come through? (laughs) And he's looking at me like, bro, all you had to do was what I asked you to do. I had this waiting for you, but now I've got to hold off because you're not ready yet. Do we pursue God like Ruth pursued Boaz? Are we willing to do whatever it takes to follow after God and pursue him no matter what? Did, did Ruth worry about what other people were going to say? Did she question her mother-in-law? Did she, did she say, well, I don't really want to do that, or I don't want to go lay at his feet, or what if somebody see? All these things. She did exactly what she was told. I think sometimes we're scared of obedience. We're scared of the sacrifice that it brings. And I don't know if it's scared of failure or what, but it's like God has this plan for us, and I've seen it many times. I've seen it in my own life where I feel like God has a plan for me, and I'm obeying it right up to this point, and instead of breaking through, just like Peter when he stepped out of the boat The wind and the waves, he started looking around, he started seeing the wind and the waves, and then he started questioning. And just instead of taking that one step of faith that would have opened up so much, I backed away. I feel like God had an opportunity for me to lead a ministry team in college, but I was too nervous, I was too scared, I didn't trust myself. I backed away and let somebody else lead the team. And then I questioned everything that that leader did. (laughs) God, why didn't you, you know, this, that? Because I wasn't obedient. What are we willing to give up? So God's promises come to us when we obey his word and we do exactly what it says. And then we see the fruit of that. Now, is God gracious to us in that, even in times when I'm not fully obedient? Yes, he is, because he's gracious and he is loving and he is caring. And he does exactly what he feels needs to be done. But the real promise is the power comes by obeying his word. And then things like Ephesians 3.20, like exceedingly, abundantly, more than I could ever ask or imagine, that's when that becomes reality. And so I want to show you guys a video of somebody who lived that life, right, who felt a calling from God, was obedient to that, despite the sacrifices that it took. And now a lot of us in this room have been impacted by that that decision. So, uh, Will, if you go ahead and play that that video, please.
1: Well, I had the privilege of growing up in Buffalo, New York, small town, and uh, went to work for my dad at 10 years old. He put me to work, and uh, he ran Montando's Seafood Company, which is now 103 years old. So we had a great relationship growing up, except that it was always work. We were working all the time, and as I got older, I was realizing I was lear- yawning, yearning for love and acceptance. And uh, it really wasn't until uh, I was age 32 that I really heard my dad say, I loved you, was proud of you. Well, I went away to school at Jacksonville University, but after two years, uh, dropped out because I had a passion for golf. Came to South Florida and really wanted to play. Um, and I really, in that playing, I really wanted acceptance, and I got on a performance track where I uh, turned pro, tried to play competitively in the area, and realized at some point I was an average player, and then I became a PGA club professional and got into the business. And at the young age of 27, I was head pro at Frenchman's Creek, which was owned by Jack Nicholas. So to some extent, I was a legend in my own mind at 27. One night I went out to dinner with a young girl, Julie, uh, and basically kind of looking for love in all the wrong places. And at the end of the dinner, she gave me her business card. And at the bottom of the business card, it said Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And I kind of chuckled, and I said, what is that? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. That gripped me because I was not trusting in anything but me. So that night, we walked the beach, shared the gospel. Following day, January second, 1983, went to Maranatha Church and received Christ and began my walk and journey with him. The first week of a believer, I was really convicted uh, when I recognized what Christ had done for me in love. I had known a lot about lust. What can I get to satisfy me? So the following week, I went back to Maranatha and uh, Dr. Arnold Prater preached on love. And one of the things he said that gripped me was, a bell's not a bell till you ring it. A song is not a song till you sing it. The love in your heart was not given to stay, for love was meant to be given away. And at that point, God touched me in a special way. That first step of faith and obedience was ultimately, where do you want me to serve? Left the golf business and Youth for Christ came to me and said, look, we want to start youth guidance, working with first-time offenders. They offered the job. Uh, I picked my wife up off the floor. I said, honey, we're going to go make $16,000 a year and serve the Lord. That year, she went out and had two jobs. We had one car. One of my former assistants felt sorry for us, gave us a car. But that began my journey to see God's provision with Youth for Christ. Over those eight years, the first area I ministered in was the Juvenile Detention Center, which opened my eyes to the plight of our African-American boys. I would go in there weekly and meet with them and do chapel, and I'd start talking about, how's your dad? Their eyes would drop, their arms would fold, and I began to realize the fatherlessness that existed in the urban community. That broke my heart because God had healed my relationship with my dad when I realized I needed to forgive him. That healing then brought a burden for the fatherless, which is so many times in Psalms, it talks about that God will be a father to the fatherless. And though your mother and father forsake you, the Lord will receive you. That was the beginning of the calling. After eight years on staff with Youth for Christ, working with first-time offenders, doing jail tours, the reality is the gospel is the greatest message ever. However, my kids couldn't read. They couldn't look me in the eye. So the birthing of Erbethepak was in 1997 with a mission to love, equip, and empower inner-city youth to fill their God-given purpose. So the birthing of Erbethepak really started with a weekly sports outreach at Gaines Park. We showed up every single week, played football and basketball. We drew, drew them through that. Uh, then we shared the gospel and then fed them. And the interesting thing about that was that we remained faithful every single week. And so many times in our community Kids have ups and downs, people move, fathers come and go, but faithfully showing up each week, they began to realize that, wait a minute, maybe my life is worth something. Maybe with the message of the gospel that God has a purpose for my life. As ministry grew, we wanted to get a building, and uh, we had a situation with the city that came up where they were going to help us, and we worked with them for six months, and all of a sudden one day I walked into the city office, and they said, you can't build there because there's a 60 inch water main. It devastated me. I walked out of the office with my architect and as I was, tears in my eyes, I'm thinking, Lord, we're doing your will. You brought us this far. Why is this all of a sudden gone down the, the drain? And the conviction I had was the Lord saying to me, is this about you, Bill? That conviction of, of understanding what's in the ha- our heart, the motives of our heart began to be an ongoing process of sanctification. As God calls us, He continues to challenge us. He continues to test us. He knows what's there, but He allows difficult things to come till we come to the end of our rope. We search our heart, as David prayed, Search my heart, O God, see if there be any wicked way, and purge and cleanse me. That has continued along the way through my whole journey, and I believe as God calls us, He builds a foundation. He wants to deal with those things, and we need to yield to it, keep our heart right before the Lord, and keep walking by faith. One of the great things about God's faithfulness is my wife, Carrie, who has stood by my side for 25 years, going through a lot of huge challenges. We've grown, we've had difficulties, but her faithfulness to supporting me has been tremendous. In that same journey, we were blessed after waiting 20 years for a child by adopting our daughter, Rachel, in 2004, which has been a great joy to our family. In January, we celebrate 25 years, and in that period of time, the grace of God has allowed us to impact over 10,000 kids' lives through salvation, where their lives are changed, first time in their home, being able to go to college, many of our kids, first time college, and many have gone and started their own business. We have seen kids loved, equipped, and empowered through the gospel and lives changed for eternity, generations changed, and that impact is for God's glory.
0: Amen. Hey, Bill, if you could stand up for us real quick. Bill's here in the back. Y'all can give it up for him. You don't know how to, you know, urban youth and Bill's relationship with Chris then birth, bow down. So a lot of, you know, what we, we see around here and what we're involved in is because of his vision, but more importantly, his obedience. God gave him a vision and he was obedient. Bill, I know it's tough. I know, <laughs> I know wife <laughs> fight tough on her, um, putting up with that, um, driving around in the station wagon, all that stuff. Um, but you were willing to see it through and out of that comes the blessing that, that God gives. Um, so I just wanted to, to wrap up with this. This is a, um, a quote from Matthew Henry. Matthew Henry uh, was one of the first commentaries I got in, in college. Now, if you read it, um, it's kind of like old English, so you, sometimes you might have to read it a couple of times to really understand what he's saying. But um, I just loved what he said about this passage. It says this. It says, uh, Thus must we by faith apply ourselves to Jesus Christ as our next kinsman." That is able to redeem us, come under his wings as we are invited and beg of him to spread his skirt over us. Lord Jesus, take me into thy covenant and under thy care. I am oppressed. Undertake for me. And we've got to get to a point in our lives where we realize that we need Jesus. We need to lay at his feet, right? We need to come into the protection that he offers and honor the covenant that we made with him. Ruth made a covenant, and she stuck with it every, every step of the way. A lot of us have made covenants with God. We've given our life to Christ. But are we living in that and being obedient in that every single day? Because you have no idea what God might be calling to you to this year. As you go through this fast, God might put a vision in your heart and in your mind for something that he wants you to do, something like an Urban Youth Impact. could be starting your own business. It could be so many different things. God might put a vision in your heart for that. Lay at his feet, humble and obedient. Come under his protection. Do exactly as his word tells you to and watch the promises of God come. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for for our time this morning. Thank you more for your word. Thank you for the story of Ruth and of Boaz and how we can not only glean from from their character, but how we can also see how it correlates with our relationship with you, God. God, I don't deserve to be redeemed by you. I have a long, dirty list of things that I've done in my life, God. But I'm so thankful that you don't look at that. You look past all the things that I've done you look to my heart and you come around me and you offer protection and you offer strength you offer wisdom and guidance you never sleep you never slumber you're always at work you've gone before me to prepare the good works that are in store God I'm your masterpiece that you add to every single day Father God help us to come humbly to you, God, to live in the protection that you provide and to do exactly as you tell us to because you have a life that you promise an abundant life, God. God, you want to pour out into our lives. You want to show us what Ephesians 3.20 really means exceedingly abundantly, more than we could ever ask or, or imagine, God. We've got to follow you in obedience to be able to get there so God whatever we're dealing with today at this moment may we be obedient in what you're calling us to now God for some of us that's coming up and praying with a prayer partner maybe for some of us that's just praying at our seat for some of us maybe it's it's restoring a relationship For maybe for some of us it's, it's beginning that journey by kneeling before a holy and righteous God and saying, I can't do this on my own. Whatever it is, Father, I pray that we would be obedient in it right now. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for visiting us today. Make sure to check us out online at www.bowdownchurch.com.